Welcome to the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast, your guide to help you manage life, money, and multiples. Each episode, host Paul Fenner, Tama Capital's president and founder, and the proud parent of four amazing children, including one set of triplets, will provide insights on successfully sustaining an active lifestyle, career, and family through comprehensive wealth management strategies, financial education, and lifestyle planning specific to parents raising twins, triplets, and more. Learn more, subscribe to the show, or connect with Paul at TamaCapital.com. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Clients of Tama may retain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Hi, and welcome to a special episode of the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast. Uh, before I had spoken about uh, trying a few different things with the podcast as far as um, focusing on some specific wealth planning topics. And this week we're kicking off a three-part series on the college planning process. And maybe people would think about the college planning process just focusing on saving for college or uh, financial aid or the net cost of college. And those are all topics that we're going to eventually talk about. But I wanted to break the the entire process down uh, from research that I've done over the last 10 years and um, largely uh, new information that I've, I've come across um, from a book called The Price That You Pay for College by Ron Lieber. Ron Lieber is a nationally known New York Times columnist and um, also best best-selling author, New York Times best-selling author, and he really goes into a lot of detail and spent years researching and talking to parents and counselors and colleges uh, about the the entire process from beginning to end. And so that's that's largely what these these next three weeks are going to be about. And so in part one, um, I've called it cruel optimism. And what we're going to focus on are what families are up against, um, deciding what you want from college, just to name a few. Part two, we're going to focus on how to find the best fit for your kids. And, and every situation is going to be different, but I wanted to lay out some questions that you should be asking uh, during those college visits um, and uh, during the high school years before you even step foot on a college campus. And then finally, part three, we're going to tackle taking the financial guesswork when it comes to planning for college financially, whether it's saving, financial aid, debt, um, and then really figuring out what the net cost of college is, which I think is going to surprise a lot of people. So let's get started with this week's show, which is talking about part one. And I've, I've dubbed this cruel optimism for, for a few reasons, but it's largely based on this um, idea that a, a college professor at the University of Chicago, Lauren Berlant, uh, she's an English professor, and I hope to have her on the show at some point this year, but she turned this idea of cruel optimism into a, a, an actual book. I haven't started reading it yet, but it's definitely on my, on my shelf to, to take a look at this year. And so one of the things that I work with families at at TAMA is, is trying to figure out balance, balancing uh, financial goals with lifestyle goals. And it's very difficult because we got to step back and look at what what are families up against. So 
Suppose you're fortunate to have a career that pays really well. In that case, most of your savings are probably going out of your paycheck via your disciplined good investment process towards retirement because most people do not have access to a pension plan. According to CNN Money, only 14% of workers are covered by a pension plan uh, in the United States. That's down significantly uh, and has continued to decrease over the last three or four decades. So that's one of the, the, the key things uh, elements that we're up against as family is saving for our own retirement. Before, you could rely on a company to help you with that. Now, it's pretty much on your own. Housing. We've all talked about or heard about the housing shortage, the housing boom going on right now post-COVID. Uh, so if you want to be in a good school district, you're going to have to pay for it. So we've seen a large increase in uh, the medium median average home price, which according to Zillow, has increased from $165,000 in June of 2011 to 279000 in April of 2021. That's a 69% increase. Now, this can vary greatly depending on what part of the country you live in. If you're living on the coast, you know, west coast, east coast, you know, those, those prices are, are much, much higher. If you're in the Midwest, kind of where where I'm at in, in Michigan, um, those averages are probably close. But the key is the, the nicer the, the area that you want to live in, the better the school district, the more expensive it's going to be. A third element that we're facing as families are the continuing increase of out-of-pocket health care costs. Um, health care continues to grow at a rate higher than inflation. Um, if you're lucky to have an employer-sponsored retirement medical plan, um, then that's definitely a, a, a big burden that that you don't feel as much. However, you know a lot of these new plans that companies are offering come with sky-high deductibles, four-figure deductibles to be specific. Uh, but if you're not fortunate to be able to have an employer-sponsored medical plan, um, you're going out on your own to get it. Or with federal subsidies, you know, you're, you could potentially be looking at $20,000 annually for a family of four. Then I get to my, my last point, the rising cost of college. Similar to healthcare cost, college tuition has outpaced inflation for several decades. And most people wonder, well, why is that? Well, I think there's three reasons. One are just the simple cost of paying people has increased. We all expect, you know, some kind of increase every year from our employers, whether it's three, four, five percent or you know, bigger. So costs rise because people expect better or increased salaries. Number two, states have been under budget constraints for many, many years. And so one way they've tried to balance their uh, state budgets, which are the required which they are required to annually is to cut spending at state institutions, state colleges. And finally, third, there are only a handful of private colleges and universities that have the endowments to subsidize increased annual cost. So you have costs rising annually, and you have states uh, cutting funding on an annual basis. 
So those two um, factors kind of create have created this long-term uh, effect, multi-decade effect of having increased uh, college expenses. So those four um, elements are all factors that almost every family I work with is up against. So how do you balance all that? We'll come back to that in a minute. So I think the very first step in the college process, college planning process is deciding what you want from college. And you may be scratching out, well, what do you mean? I want an education. I want a degree. But the real real cool thing about Ron Lieber's book is that he, he actually identifies three reasons why you would be pursuing higher education in the first place. The first is, of course, learning, you know, to have your, your, your kid's mind blown and grow. Two would be finding your people. So think more social, um, you know, a group of people, both peers, grown, older, older, older grownups um, that you meet along your way. Think of people that, you know, stood up for you in your wedding um, that are, you know, God, my mother or godfather to your, to your kids, you know, somebody that you would want to be by your side for every good and bad thing that comes in your life. You know, I know a lot of people, me included, have really strong relationships with people that I went to undergrad with, and those carry throughout your entire life. And finally, third, a means to an end. So this is more of getting that credential that leads to a job. Um, the the ability to um, have that ticket punch that enables your child to move a rung up the the social economic ladder, if you will. So a fourth, if you think about it, could be a combination of all three of those. But the one thing you're going to have to figure out is how much weight do you put to each one of those? So just to recap, one is learning, two is finding your people, and three is a means to an end, that credential that leads to a job. So if you care about all three of those, which most people do, how do you weight each one against each other? So if you're a family seeking college uh, for the credential loan, the traditional residential undergraduate, undergrad experience may not be the best value for you, especially as we transition, hopefully, out of the COVID pandemic. You know, as many students experienced, um, online learning was not great. And so there are other schools that have been more focused on online learning. Um, two schools come to mind, Southern New Hampshire University and Arizona State have spent years building out uh, digital infrastructure to offer bachelor's, bachelor degrees at much lower prices. So you have to make a decision. Is, is that college experience, you know, going back to you know, why you want your kids to go to college, is that social aspect really critical? Um, then a digital experience might not be the way to go. But if you believe a school can persuade you that employers in your chosen field will hire you based on that degree, you might extract the most possible, most possible value from that experience if you go to that school. So 
back in 2014, um, Purdue University partnered with the Gallup um, uh, Association, the polling company, if you will, and they created the largest poll of college graduates in history. And the single highest reported um, aspect of that report that came out was that having a job is the most crucial factor in someone's overall well-being. And specifically, respondents in this report listed six critical aspects of college that contributed to their um, engagement at work. So think about going, going through college, what six elements really did they learn or take away that helped them in their current careers? So the first item they listed was involvement in extra, extracurricular activities. Um, obviously, that could be music, arts, sports, um, Greek life, um, government, you know, any of those extracurricular activities. Number two was an internship or job where they could apply what they learned in the classroom in real life. And I can't emphasize this enough. I think this is one of the most underrated parts of, of college and even in high school is if your kids have an interest in something, find a way to be able to, to have them see how it actually works in the real world. It's one thing learning from a book or a professor or a teacher, or, um, but it's, it's another to, to, to get out and actually see work being done. The third um, factor is an academic project at the school that took at least one semester to, to complete. I know in Ron's book, he actually uh, singles out uh, the College of Wooster in Ohio, where it's a, a really unique program where all of the students are required to basically create this undergrad thesis project that they're working on that comp accumulates in their senior year. So that's something else to consider. So then came three factors that depend all on human beings, which are the, the people that the colleges and universities employ. So number four is, did the graduates have a professor who cared about them personally? I remember when, so when, when I went, when I was going through undergrad the first year, I actually went to Kettering University, um, which is an engineering school in Flint, Michigan. And I had a professor, um, I didn't even take his class. I was actually doing a work study for him. And he had a profound impact on my life because I didn't know if I really fit in this environment with this school, with the program. And he quite bluntly told me one day, hey, maybe this isn't for you. Yes, this is a great institution. Um, you know, you're going to do really well wherever you go, but maybe just this isn't the right fit for them. And so I always remembered that. And the, the other thing that, that about, about this professor was that he would invite me over to his house all the time. And it made me feel special. It made me feel like I was important to him. And 
I even remember the one of the the first times that my parents came up. Um, my professor and his wife took me out to dinner with my parents, and I remember my parents being so nervous because my parents were, you know, blue collar people. They were working, you know, they had worked in factories, and it, it was the first time that they they'd ever been in an environment like that. And the time that he took to make us all feel special was um, really remarkable. The fifth factor is, did that professor make your child or make that student feel excited about learning? So if you have that passion to learn, um, that will carry forward in your chosen career. And then the sixth factor was, did that professor, teacher, administration officer encourage them to pursue their dreams? Now, that may sound a little touchy-feely, but I think if, if surrounded by the right people, you're going to get honest feedback. And that's what you want from your, your college professors. Do you think this is a good idea? You know, and, and have that, that conversation, that discussion. Well, yes, I think it's a good idea because of this, this, and this. Or no, I don't think it's a good idea. Or have you considered this? Or have you thought about that? So that, that dialogue. So I think what we're talking about here with these last three points is were these kids able to find a mentor? And a mentor is can mean something very different from a teacher. And it may not always be a professor either. Again, it could be a coach. It could be um, the leader of an organization that you're that 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 these people were a part of. You know, it's of the six critical factors that contributed to the overall well-being, the three related to, to mentorship, these last three, turned out to be the most important. And I go back to my example with my professor at, at Kettering. You know, time and time again, a single dinner at a professor's home seemed to have an outsized impact on student success. And just think, it, 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 didn't, it didn't take much for that professor and his wife to, to have us over for dinner. You know, it's minimal effort, if you will. But it, it just solidifies that, that relationship that we care about our students. We want to be there to support them. And so when you're thinking about where to send your kids to college, keep these, these, these factors in mind. So coming back to um, this term, cruel optimism, by Lauren Berlant, uh, English professor at the University of Chicago. Um, she kind of laid this out. So what, is it, what does it mean to have the American dream? Well, well part of that, and you could define that any way, but most, for most parents, it's having their kids have a good education. And parents, you know, I think as parents, we feel this pressure that we're supposed to have the money to make that a reality. But what if you don't? There's very few families 
that could pay or write the check for full four years of undergrad for their kids. So, so much of a family struggle that we talked about to lead off the podcast isn't just for economic survival, but it's also social. It's, it's, it's this inner struggle that, you know, if we don't get our kids into the right college, if we can't afford to pay for them, you know, how is that going to make us feel? So we're not exactly rational when it comes to facing some of our biggest fears and deciding where to go to college. This whole college planning process is one of those big fears. You know, we're not necessarily using data to plot the trajectory of our children's success on, you know, line paper, line paper. <laughs> you know, there's, and, and with so much in wealth planning and working with families like I do, there's this constant pull and push between emotional decisions and the financial impacts of those decisions. And likewise, the financial decisions we make and the emotional, um, the emotional feelings that come from that. You know, I've always explained to people when when explaining what I do in a well planning sense is that it's much more emotional than it is financial. You know, the the technical piece of of, of well planning, the tools that I use, you know, it, it's all there. But being able to to combine that with the emotional part of it is where people can feel that peace of mind because that's that's what we're trying to get to at the end of the day. What am I what do I want to achieve? How can I achieve it? And at the end of the day, do I feel that peace of mind? So coming back to this this idea of cruel optimism, you know, none of us want to have our children tumble down the uh, social economic status, uh, whether it's you know salary, social class. Um, you know, we've spent as parents decades, you know, trying to put our families in a much better situation than potentially we grew up with. I know I certainly have. So, you know, according to uh, Pew Research, you know, 58% of Americans believe that their children are walking around today will be worse off financially than they were growing up. 37% expect them to do better, but it won't change that much overall. So to, to kind of put a pin in this Lauren Berlin cruel optimism piece is when you're first sitting down with your kids and talking about college and I and I encourage families to have this conversation early. And when I mean when I say early, I mean the end of middle school years, 
definitely the beginning of the high school years. You don't want to start asking your kids these questions too late to where, you know, and, and I'm not even talking financially yet. I'm just talking about how to get in the right mindset of, again, deciding what do you want from college? You know, is, is my student, is my, is my, is my child going to be better off at a bigger school or a smaller school? And we're going to talk about those specifics in part two when it comes to trying to figure out what the best fit is for your, for your, your, your child. But I think in this first part, I wanted to lay the, the groundwork and the foundation um, that comes with you know, deciding what you want from college, you know, these six critical factors that we talked about from this Gallup-Purdue index report, and from a parent's standpoint, knowing that you do the best that you can. And one of the things that, that I've learned when it comes to saving for college, and again, this will be in part three, is that people ask me, well, what do you do? How do you save for college? And, or how much do you save? Or what's the right number? And I tell people, whatever you feel that you can do. Some people can do more, some people can't, but it's what you feel, what you can do. So I hope this was helpful. Um, Again, this is uh, the first part in this three-part mini-series, if you will, on the college planning process where we're going to go from the beginning here, the foundational stage, you know, lining up, you know, what we're all facing as far as increased cost of of college, of increased cost of of housing, increased cost of of healthcare, increased cost of just about anything these days, and how we balance that and start thinking about moving forward with putting together a, a plan for college. And that's the main focus that I want parents to get out of this three-part series is it's a planning process. You can find all of this information that I've, I've talked about, including links to uh, Ron Lieber's book, The Price That You Pay For College, on our website, www.tamacapital.com. And if you're interested, you can sign up uh, for our monthly newsletter, uh, subscribe to the podcast, um, schedule a, a complimentary discovery meeting, uh, where you know we have a pretty in-depth college planning process that we're rolling out uh, with the families that we work with and would love to show you more about that. I f- again, I hope that you found this helpful and we'll look forward to talking to you in part two. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast. Please visit TamaCapital.com to subscribe to this podcast or to connect with certified financial planner and registered investment advisor, Paul Fenner of Tama Capital. And please join us again next time on the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast. Mm-hmm.